Pro. Welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So come on over into our world. I know you'll like it, because on today's show... We feature someone who knows a lot about stuff, and I know nothing about anything. So this is going to be a this is going to be a very very interesting conversation that I'm going to have with a gentleman by the name of uh, Joel Bouchard. I think that's right. I will double check that. Let me talk to my linguistic uh, expert, Nathan. Um, is Bouchard correct? Good morning, Kevin. <laughs> Good morning to you, sir. <laughs> I'm very good at English. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. Uh, I, that would be my guess is Bouchard on Joel's last name there. Uh, very good. Then that's what we're going to go with until he tells us differently in just a moment. I'm sure he will if he has to. Yes. Uh, he's a podcaster. He's uh, been in the uh, he's an army veteran. He's a doctoral student in psychology. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. He might be oh. able to tell us why we're thinking, you know, that's the way his last name is pronounced. <laughs> He'll have a philosophical approach to it, I'm yes. sure. And he's got a podcast that's called From Nowhere to Nothing. And so we're going to talk about, about that and, 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 and stuff. But first of all, I want to ask you, it was raining like cats and little puppy dogs uh, at my house. Is it going to be like oh, that? Oh, boy. Weekend? It is still raining pretty hard and creating some standing water on 405 up north in the Kirkland and Woodenville areas. So be careful of that. And other places as well in the same region do have standing water going over roadways. So be careful of standing water on the roads and, you know, be careful not to hydroplane. That's a bad thing because you can lose control and it can it can be uh, it, it, and it happens so fast. Yes. So you just need to be very careful. Take your time. There is not I cannot think of anything worse than getting into a traffic accident on Christmas weekend. Oh man, you do not want that to happen. So stay out stay safe out there, folks. Indeed, indeed, indeed. So we're going to welcome Joel and and see if he can pronounce his last name. <laughs> Joel, welcome to the show. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you uh, you're close enough, Bouchard. Yep. So that's, Bouchard, that's right. Gotcha. Um, that's 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 awesome. Welcome, welcome to Positive Talk Radio. The first question I got to ask you though is, well, first of all, I want to thank you for your service. Um, any any uh, veteran that has uh, gone and worked for our country overseas or wherever you were is really important. And I want to thank you for that. Um, but, uh, um, and you're also a doctoral student in psychology. You're a multi-instrumentalist and a record producer and an author and a painter. You, you, you what, what's the matter? Can you not decide what you want to do with yourself? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> I never figured out what I wanted to do when I grew up. So I just am trying to do it all. And you're doing a really fine job. I was listening to your uh, um, your podcast and it made my head hurt. And so I just <laughs> wanted to, <laughs> you were talking about nothing and nowhere and uh, on that particular one. And it's one of the recent ones that you've done. And uh, it's an interesting, um, wh where did you come up with the name and the concept for this particular podcast? 
Yeah. So the name is a um a a quote by a, another philosopher. Um, the podcast was inspired by my co-host Norm Gayford. He was my philosophy professor in college, and so the whole idea behind the show was trying to recreate the conversations we'd have in his classroom during philosophy class. So it's just the two of us. There's no no class, but we try to draw the audience in a little bit and and you know, make people think and uh, have have some dialogue at, at home with it. So that, that was kind of the inspiration for it. It's it's a very interesting concept. Uh, I keep getting told that I need to niche down, niche down, niche down, niche down. And you have niche down because it's a very um, you're you're uh, from nowhere to nothing. I, I'm curious to know, though, where is nowhere? And if there is nowhere, is there nothing? Yeah, it's um it's it's a very deeply philosophical question, right? Because um you know of what and positions philosophers have taken is um well, if you can conceptualize nowhere or nothing, then they must exist if nowhere else than in your own mind. Even if in reality they they it's they're impossible, right? Um so there's a lot of different perspectives on it and um yeah, we cover all kinds of stuff in the show. Right now, uh, we did nowhere last week. Tomorrow, we'll be doing nothing because uh, Norm wanted to do the the two topics that are in the name of the podcast, from nowhere to nothing. So um, that's why we're doing these two this week. But we we've gone all over the map. We've done the big things like God and Time, and we've done um, you know things like Disney princesses and entertainment franchise reboots. So big and small. Um, you know, our whole thing is anybody can be a philosopher. And no topic is too small or too large to uh, look at philosophically. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Now, when you go to now, I never took psychology or philosophy in college. When you go, what, what do you learn in those classes? Um, well, psychology and philosophy are two distinct um, disciplines. So philosophy um, is sort of. The art of thinking. There's a lot of different classes there. Um, some of them are practical tools like logic and, and syllogisms and those sorts of things, teaching you how to think critically. Um, some of them are historical in nature. You look at specific philosophers and, and what they thought and how their um, thoughts sort of concatenate with other philosophers throughout time and, and how knowledge has been built on um, that thinking, right? Because Essentially, all of science and all of art and all of history all stems from philosophy at one point, right? Um, I like to say that philosophy bookends every other discipline. Um, every di discipline comes out of philosophy, and at the in every discipline disappears into philosophy in the future, right? We see that a lot with, um, you know, the big one nowadays is AI, right? Um, a lot of the big AI companies are are actually hiring philosophers to teach their um, artificial intelligences. Um, so, so that's philosophy, psychology, uh, you know, that's the study of the brain. So, um, you know, and that's all kinds of different stuff. I just got finished with a functional neuroscience class. So that's looking at the physiology of the brain. Um, but there's also ones that are more abstract in nature, looking at, um, you know, mental disorders or, um, personality, um, even morality and, and things that appear very philosophical in nature. So there's, there's some overlap for sure, but uh, yeah, psychology is more about um, thinking uh, as a from a scientific perspective. Now, with those disciplines, 
how is that tied into science and scientific thinking? Are they connected or are they kind of at odds with one another? They're definitely connected, right? Um, but they're connected. It's very important that you connect them in the right way. Um, and you see a lot of this nowadays, uh, specifically in um, physics uh, and, and some other disciplines where some scientists will mix some philosophy into their science, and that is not the correct way of doing science, right? So um, it's very important to separate the two, right? If I'm, when I'm working on my psychology um, studies, I have to follow the scientific method, right? You have to use um, objectivity and you have to use um, specific measurable um, tools and things. You don't have to do that in philosophy. In philosophy, all you have to do is rationalize, right? So like we were talking about with nowhere or nothing, right? There's no scientific way of sort of figuring out if there's nowhere or nothing. You know, when physicists try, you know, okay, well, nature abhors a vacuum and there's, you know, quantum fields that are interfering and that have particles popping in and out of existence and this sort of thing. But, um, you know, but I can sit here and, and think about nowhere and try to draw inferences about it, but I can't prove it. And so um, that's where science and philosophy sort of separate. Philosophy, it's more thinking about arguments that are rational, things that make sense, but not necessarily having to prove them. Whereas science, um, usually you start from a position where um, a lot of the biggest scientific discoveries are things that are not rational. The scientists at the time didn't think it was going to work out. Um, the Big Bang, for instance, uh, those guys, when they discovered the cosmic microwave uh, background radiation, uh, they thought it was pigeon poop on their on their end on their satellite dish. So they were trying to clean it off because no matter where they looked in the sky, they got this interference signal and they found out later on that that's the Big Bang. Like and there was a huge scientific discovery. So science, um, you know, starts with, a, you know, you have a very specific process and you start with a certain set of rules and you have to follow them in order to do good science. Whereas philosophy, it's just, it's a free for all, you know, you have, you have rules of logic, but outside of that, you know, you're free to think up thought experiments and other things that support it. I have to tell you one time I, I was a bus driver for 12 years and I met a psychology major on the bus and we had this, what I called a deep discussion, but she was, I think for her was, it was much too easy, but in, in any event, we were talking about, um, psychic mediums and were they real were they not real where if they are real where do they get their information and if they're not real how good are they at doing cold readings and and that sort of thing she was on the side of it's all fake they're all they all do cold readings and there is no uh, there is no mediumship or afterlife per se that we can that we can put our fingers on and so therefore if it if we can't prove it, it doesn't exist. Was her attitude? Is that kind of a scientific scientific attitude? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of scientists will take that um, that bend, and you'll see um, that sometimes scientists will uh, be a little bit schizophrenic in their approaches. Where um, professionally they might say one thing, and then personally they might say another. Especially when it comes to religion, right? There's some a lot of uh, people in the medical field, right, who understand evolution they understand biology and the way the body works um, but personally they might have religious beliefs that contradict those practical practices right 
Um, so yeah, with psychic mediums, right? A psychologist, a good psychologist, and there's they've been, they've done studies, they've tested um, mediums, um, and have found that uh, there's there's nothing statistically significant about how what mediums can predict. Um, so in the eyes of science, uh, there it, it it's not real. Um, but science is very strict, right? The the loosey goosey right scientific reports uh only allow you statistical significance if there's a one in 20 percent chance that you're that you made a mistake so if you think about it that's a pretty high standard to hold somebody to right nobody if psychic mediums are real uh who knows how accurate you know they always talk about how cloudy things are or whatever well if that's really the case then can we expect them to be right 19 out of 20 times i you know i don't know so yeah, scientifically, um, it's it's pretty easy to say, okay, well, we, we can study this, right? We can come up with a hypothesis, we can come up with objective measures to look at it by, and then we can put the medium to the test. And if they fail, then it's it's bunk, right? Um, a philosopher wouldn't do that. A philosopher would would use probably more inductive reasoning, say, um, okay, well, if somebody's making contact with a dead person. How would that happen? Well, first, we have to know what makes up consciousness. Is consciousness, um, you know, panpsychic in nature? Um, you know, is, is anything that is made up of atoms and molecules have some fundamental form of consciousness? And just if it's aggregated in the form of a human brain, it takes on certain characteristics. But if it's aggregated in the form of a rock, it takes on different characteristics. After a being dies, you know, where does that, how does it, the, the new amalgamation of atoms work is it possible that it could communicate with somebody across time or space or maybe even multiple universes and um you know it doesn't it doesn't necessarily say that oh yeah sure the now psychics are right you know uh, or that astrology is is true or anything like that that's not philosophy either right philosophy has rules of logic you have to come up with a systematic argument that's convincing based off of the scientific facts that we do have and, and the rational arguments that we do have. So it's not like anything goes, um, but you have a little bit more leeway to construct rational arguments. Uh, whereas in science, you need, you need the proof, you need the evidence. Right. Um, so that's kind of sort of the difference, I guess. Well, that's a very brilliant of you to be able to come up with, because we haven't talked about any of this beforehand. So I'm just kind of throwing stuff at you. Basically, um, one of the things that we talk about a lot is that we are energetic beings in the physical body. Is there any proof to that? Is that because uh, I know our hearts and our brain are function th with electricity or with uh, and and so there is energy there. Is that something that they take into account as to where that energy goes, how big it is, how important it is to our our well-being and our structure and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, here's another spot where, you know, science and, and philosophy can not always diverge, but sometimes diverge. Um, science, you know, science is monistic, you know, monist in nature, which is to say that in the view of science, the brain and the body are all one thing, right? So when I die, I'm dead, right? Before I was born, I didn't exist, Right. Everything that makes me me is is up here and, and in my body, whereas um, philosophy, uh, some you know 
philosophies are monist, some are dualist, you know, which is um, Descartes and these other guys that would say, well, no, I have a soul or I have um, some consciousness that survives after my death or is separate from um, my viscera, you know, my physical body. Um, now, s science does not say that that's not true, but what they say is that's outside the realm of science, right? What we need to understand human beings can be looked at by looking at the brain. So, um, but that being said, some questions are outside of the scope. Um, consciousness is the big one, right? When we look at people's brains and imaging studies, um, like when you're trying to pronounce my last name, right, your Wernicke's area and your Broca's area in your left, uh, you know, lobe are lighting up and trying to say, okay, well, you know, usually a CH makes this sound and that sort of thing. And then your prefrontal cortex puts all that info together and sends it back through. And you, you say, you, what you think my best pronunciation of my name is. If you have a problem in either one of those areas of your brain, it's going to mess with how your speech works. Um, so science looks at that physical part of the brain. Okay. What's lighting up when somebody's doing something? If somebody has damage to a certain part of the brain, what are the effects? Um, and basically view it as an advanced electrical system with many, many connections um, that we don't quite understand, but um, it, it's all physical in nature. Um, whereas, you know, again, philosophy, you can open up, you know, you can you can consider the possibility of a soul and how that works with, um, you know, with the body. Um, you can you can attempt to answer those questions that science um, refuses to get involved in either because of a lack of technology or because of a lack of um, understanding or um, just a fear of legitimate scientists saying, I don't want to, I don't have my name attached to this, right? This is weird, you know? So philosophy has, it gives you a little bit more leeway. Well, I got to ask you a question because how would a scientist handle this? There's an 81 year old man wandering around the planet right now who will tell you that he dreamt of a song and he walked around for two weeks after the song. In the morning, he remembered the song and wrote it down. And he walked around for two weeks singing the song to people saying, where did I hear this before? And everybody said, yeah, I have no idea. I've never heard that song before. And so eventually, after a couple of weeks, he took it at his own. And he doesn't have any idea where it came from. It, it, it just showed up on, on his doorstep, if you will. His name is Paul McCartney, and the song is Yesterday. And it, which has been um, copied well over, you know, uh, covered well over 3,000 times and stuff. So how would a scientist interpret that? The luck of the draw, just kind of thinking about it. And it just, you, even though he woke up with it and has no idea how it got there. Yeah, those are the kind of questions that got me into psychology, right? Because as a musician, I've had this happen to me where um, I've, I've, yeah, I, I go to sleep and I dream. I, I had a dream one time about, um, you know, Jack Johnson and Nora Jones doing a cover of uh, Sunshine on My Shoulders. Um, I thought I woke up, I go, oh, that's really cool. I'm going to do that cover. Right. Um, but I've also woken up with fully formed songs that, you know, I wrote in my sleep and and dreams are something that science can't really address. Right. There's um, there's different theories on it. Oh, hey, it's just your brains. Um, it's just, you know, dumping off memories that are not useful or. It's just random electrical activity and stuff. And so as a psychologist, I have to say, okay, well, we don't have 
anything to dispute those claims. We don't, and we don't have anything to support the claims that dreams do anything useful at this point. And that's mostly a technological limitation, right? Um, that I think might be solved in the future. But for, you know, philosophically, you can look at dreams and say, okay, well, since the beginning of time, people have been talking about the importance of dreams and how dreams connect them with people from the past and, and show them things about the future and that sort of stuff. So, you know, as the brain, the human brain being essentially a learning machine, right, and a, and a prediction machine, uh, I think that there's some very valuable aspects of dreaming that the science just isn't capable of understanding right now. And so we come up with alternative hypotheses that we um, are not obligated to follow through on, on proving it at this point. So philosophically, it's much more fun to explore, you know, well, what, it, what could be some of the possible meanings of this, you know? Well, exactly. And another one is near-death experiences, uh, because science, in the reading that I've done lately, science will say, while your brain lives for a period of time after it no longer is getting oxygen to it, and it die and the and the cells die slowly. So it's during this period, after when the, when the heart stops beating, that um, and tell me if I'm wildly incorrect in this. Um, when the heart stops beating, that you can still have hallucinations. And so when the heart is restarted, those hallucinations are brought forth as remembrances of this near death experience. When they'll say nothing really happened at all, you were just um hallucinating prior to brain death but then you didn't have brain death and so you can remember some of that stuff am i close to being how they describe it yeah yeah um and this is another one that nobody wanted to touch because it was so spooky and then um a, a pretty well-regarded psychologist decided to to tackle it and you know do a lot of observational research and that sort of stuff and, and came up with some pretty pretty clever insights into near-death experiences but yeah, no, that's sort of the gist of it on a physical level is um, your body produces um, the psychedelic compound DMT. Um, and But your body also produces an en enzyme that breaks down DMT before it takes any psychological effects on you normally. Um, so one of the theories is that as you're dying, um, your body sort of says, hey, this is it. Um, there's nothing we can do to protect you from this. There's no coming back from this, right? So here you go, you know, and it stops, um, stops, you know, it releases all the DMT into your body and you have these hallucinations. And um, one thing they know from studying people who have been on DMT trips is that it has a very um, consistent uh, presentation. You know, they talk about machine elves or this sort of thing, aliens, angels, there's usually some kind of supernatural being um, that tells you everything's going to be all right and that you're coming home and this sort of stuff. It's kind of a light at the end of the tunnel experience. Um, whether you're recre recreationally using DMT or whether you're you're having a near-death experience. And then um, you come back and you remember these sorts of things. Um, so yeah, you're, you're sort of remembering a hallucination. But um, in my mind, you know, it's, there's also a lot of evidence, people with anesthesia and these sorts of things that um, people, we don't quite understand where consciousness starts and ends. Um, because there's been some people, even in imaging studies where we're looking at their brains while they're under anesthesia, nothing's happening. 
and then they wake up and recite to you what all of the doctors were talking about. And you go, exactly. Well, what do we, what do you do with that? Right. Or, um, another case, one that uh, really intrigues me, um, is in, encephaly brain encephaly where, um, you have ventricles in your brains. They're, uh, they're, they're just these little cavities that are usually filled with cere cerebrospinal fluid. And they're very small. Um, with some people, they, they become enlarged, so enlarged that you almost don't have a brain. You just have this thin layer around the outside of your skull. Um, and a lot of these people are, are very mentally handicapped as you would assume, but about a quarter of them function absolutely normally with 10% of the brain mass that a normal person has. Right. And so these are things that they objectively exist. Um, but science doesn't have any answers. Right. And that's, that's where philosophy becomes important in my mind is, is in trying to address these questions in a, a systematic, structural, rational way that, that gives scientists, um, some path to follow some, you know, it's kind of like watching Star Trek, the old Star Trek and watching them talk on their watches or that sort of thing. You need somebody who has the idea to do this, that rationally makes sense. And then you need some techie people to come in and actually figure out how to do it. Well, that's philosophy and science, right? Philosophy or philosophers have the big ideas and then the scientists follow up practically with it. And, and by the way, I was listening to your podcast and you made and your partner made a reference to Star Trek, uh, Star Trek, the wrath of Khan, when they were going to going to follow the guys that had gone in the transporter, but they didn't know where they went. And uh, and so he said, we're going to go where they went. Well, where what if they went nowhere? Well, this is your chance to get away from it all. I believe is what. the said. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so it, it was entertaining. I really, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, uh, but it made mates and, and it makes you think because uh, when we, we need to take a break here in a second, but when we come back from this break, I'm going to tell you my John Edward experience. Do you know who John Edward is? Yeah. The, the psychic medium. And, uh, I, by the way, I've done over 2000 interviews in my, in my time doing podcasts and radio and all that stuff. I've worked with a bunch of psychics. Some are, they're like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Um, or, you know, some are a good witch and some are not a good witch. And so you have to be careful and be discerning about who you allow to do these things and to read for you and to, and to get some folks who actually have had experience with them. But but we're, let's take this break. And then when we come back, I will tell you my John Edward experience that I, it made me an absolute believer. I got to tell you. Why, by the way, we're talking with Joel Bruchard. Yes, Bruchard. Yeah, close enough. Yeah. Uh, no, it, there's no R in there. It's Bouchard. Say it for me, please. Then yeah. I'll get yeah, it. Bouchard. 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 Very good. And, and uh, he, of course, is the podcaster from Nowhere to Nothing. Look it up. It's it's everywhere in the podcasts are. And so. Um, I encourage you to go do that because it will give you a different different perspective and a different way to think. And at least it, it made me think a lot, and that's hard for me to do. So we're, we're, we're going to come right back right after this. So stay with us. You're listening to Positive Talk Radio on KKNW. Do you need to boost your sales? Join our partnership program. Each quarter, we promote 10 partner businesses. What will you get? The company will produce one 30-second video for your business. Your website links on positivetalkradio.net and kmmedia.pro. One dedicated podcast or radio show per month. One video Instagram reel. One YouTube short. 
one 60-second clip for social media taken from your interview, and at least one commercial airplay per show. All podcasts and video commercials are within the fabric of the show and will remain in the show forever. Visit kmmedia.pro to book a consultation today. When you want to say more than words communicate, you can with flowers. Your custom boutique floral studio in Bothell, Washington is anaturaldesign.com, connecting you to nature through the language of flowers. Where your people are is where our flowers are beautiful. Your success is our goal. For being our appreciated listener, you can use promo code PTR20 at checkout to receive 20% off your order. A naturaldesign.com at your fingertips today. We believe in the power of telling your stories. We want to help yours be seen and heard. At the Pacific Northwest Collaborative Magazine, our purpose is to connect you to your community. Let's begin by celebrating the accomplishments of local artists featured in this brand new digital magazine. Here, you can learn about opportunities to creatively come together and support our local community and neighbors through the gift of art and service. If your business or organization would like to take part in this magazine, message us on Instagram at pnw.collab. You can download our free digital magazine at KM Media Pro today. Thank you to our dedicated fans. We are updating our live on-air schedule to make it super easy for you to hang out with us five days a week, Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We broadcast on YouTube, Facebook, and live on Fridays with Kixie 880 AM Seattle Live. You can find our library to binge all the podcast platforms. We can't wait to see you at 3 p.m. Monday through Friday, starting September 4th, Labor Day 2023. And welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. We've got a heck of a show going for you today, and I, I hope that we are going to make you think and uh, and try and come up with some ideas of your own, perhaps. And then you can be a um um, you can be a a philosophy major all unto your own right and come up and write philosophy books and become. There's a big um. And prove that the chair doesn't exist. That's that's Nathan. Hey, by the way, uh, Nathan, since you're here, could you do me a favor real quick? And I, I unfortunately have got to, uh, since we don't get a lot of time. But I wanted you to check and see how the sound is on this. Yeah. yeah. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Not bad. Okay. The Sisters J, which is a, a musical group that has been on the show, they're a couple of really nice young people, and um, they they sent me four uh, holiday songs. So I thought that near the end of the show, we kind of put, put some of them in. They're just a really – and since you're a musician and a producer, you might want to go talk to these guys. Do you know who Ted Perlman is, by the way? No. Ted Perlman is a producer of Note down in Nashville. He's worked with um, – Whitney Houston and Bob Dylan, and he's a little older like me. And so he's, he, he calls those names that have been there for, um, been there for a while. So, um, and I, I, Nathan, I don't think I can do it anyway. So I wanted to ask you a question because several years ago I had the opportunity, I get an email and it's from a publicist who says, John Edward is going to be doing, this is just before COVID. John Edward is going to be doing a um, 
a show um, in Seattle and we want to publicize it. And would you like to interview John Edward? And I said, that's silly question. Of course I would, because he's from crossing over and he's, he's been a psychic medium of note and he's taken some of these tests, but a lot of them he won't do because uh, he feels like they're jaded, I guess in any event. So um, the show went like this. I didn't, wasn't sure if I was going to get callers. So I set it up so that I would have three or four or five people lined up, ready to go for him to read. And uh, he comes on right at the top of the hour. He's a professional. He's got a lot of stuff to do. He comes right at the top of the hour. The show begins. The first person that I had lined up was my sister. My sister has a different last name than I do. There's no way that he would have had any way of getting that information as far as that she was connected to me or, but in any event, my grandfather's came through and he accurately um, told us how each of them died. One from uh, a heart attack, one from stomach cancer and the other one from lung cancer. <clears throat> he told my sister that May was a very important month. That's her birthday and her two grandchildren's birthday. And, and he said, the, the, you're close to somebody with the, name of, with the first name of R. And our brother Randy was named R, but she forgot that her husband's name was Roger. And, and so in the, he, he did that without any, I, I knew the story because I know my sister and stuff, but it, it, there, there's absolutely no way that it could have been a cold reading is I guess the long way of saying it. How now when science looks at something like that, they will come up with a rational reason. Is that what they'll do? Yeah. Yeah. They try to figure out, you know, what, what was happening in a lot of cases. Um, and, you know, there's some things there that that are, um, you know, based on probabilities. Right. So, um, you know, first off, I, I like to say that I never I try not to, you know, put anything down as being um, bunk. Right. Like because I'd like to explore every idea, you know, and, and you never know. Like we were talking about with discoveries in science earlier. Right. A lot of the major scientific discoveries come from things that nobody ever thought would would be real. Right. So um, I, I try to stay really open minded about stuff. But that being said, you know, there's some things in the story that that are very mysterious. Right. Knowing um, how how people died that you you didn't have any contact with. And then there's other parts where you go. Um, it's, it's probably based on probabilities. Right. So um, somebody close to you with the name R. you know, it's it's sort of a it's a shot in the dark, but it, it causes you to do a lot of the work. Right. Well. Well, okay, yeah, I do know somebody with the name R. You know, if he had said S or G or something, maybe you would have come up with somebody else. Or May is an important month. Well, you got a one in twelve shot, and and somebody might be searching to find what the importance is. So, so yeah, there's 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 a few aspects to it, right? Some of it's probabilistic there, um, but yeah, some of it, you know, if it, if it can't be explained, it can't be explained, right? You know, there's no. And if it can't be explained in a, in a scientific way, then science is just going to say, oh, well, we, we can't address this phenomenon, um, at least until you have some new technology or a new method or something like that. So the, they'll generally leave it alone, right? Are, are they scared to go down that road because they don't want to put out a paper that could be viewed by their peers as being hogwash? Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely right um i i can say this because uh, you know like i i um 
I was in the army, right? So I get my schooling for free. Um, I go for fun. Like I don't plan on really doing anything with my degree, so I can kind of speak it how it is. But in academia, a lot of the way that it works is, you know, if you're a professor, um, a lot of your money is made through research grants and that sort of thing and, and sort of representing the university that you work for. And uh, yeah, a lot of them don't want to have their names associated with weird stuff, um, which in some ways is good, right? You don't want to give legitimacy to um, things that that are not scientific um, because that can send the wrong message. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, you also, anytime you, you shut something down, you're sort of closing off the idea of scientific exploration. If you're just wholesale, not willing to look into things either. So it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, but I would think that the characterization that um, scientists don't want to be involved with it uh, because they're, they're scared or embarrassed to get involved with something like that. That is probably the primary reason for it. <laughs> now, uh, is, is am I saying this correctly? Anecdotal, anecdotal, anecdotal evidence. Yeah. Yep. Okay. If, if if why don't and I've often wondered this. Why doesn't a scientist, the scientist, scientific community, go talk to a bunch of people in hospice? the hospice workers that have been doing it for five or 10 or 15 years and listen to their stories of the, of what happens to people as they're dying. Um, do have there been any studies about that? that yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the researcher that I mentioned earlier and his name's escaping me, but um, that was part of his, his process, right? It, since it was, it was new science, um, you know, science generally follows a route and, and usually the first step is, observational um science which is just watching right and so that's what he did is he he went to hospice homes and, and asked the staff what things should i be looking for if i want to learn about near-death experiences and they laid out um a certain thing and, and when they laid it out and then he went in and conducted systematic observations and you know set up some scientific tools he was able to come up with a timeline of things that happen, um, generally in a natural death. So yeah, um, they look at it. Um, but one thing that, that has to be watched out for is that memory is, um, not an accurate thing. We all wish that it was, especially ours compared to other people's. We like to think it's accurate, but there's, um, a phenomenon called re reconsolidation, right? Which is where, um, anytime you recall a memory, um, as you're recalling it, um, it can be changed. Um, and we see this happening in the hippocampus um, as, you're, as you're recalling things. So every single time you recall a memory, you're coloring it a little bit, and then you're putting it back into storage. And then every time you bring it back it out, it changes. So um, sometimes, and especially emotionally charged things um, tend to be colored the most. So it's one, you know, it's one thing to take professionals, um, opinions and observations about things that they've seen into consideration when you're setting up an uh, observational study. Um, but you can't accept wholesale what people have attested to in the past either. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the gist of it. You know, and I got a story my, when my dad passed, I have a story about that, but more importantly, I wanted to, is, is 
when we look at the bigger questions of life and death and and spirituality and and energy and all that kind of stuff we is it fair to say that we really don't have a clue yeah yeah how how could you you know i think that that's that's pretty much it and i get a lot of flack for this on my podcast right because um some people like to say you never answer anything and then that's by design as a matter of fact i was on i was a guest on another guy's podcast and he said give me three core values you have that, that never change. And I said, well, I only have one and that's that I'm always open to change. Right. Um, because at any given point you can have new information, new evidence. Um, you know, if, if a dog came up to me and started talking right now, I'd only need that one instance to know that dogs can talk, right. It's that simple, you know? So I'm always open to, to change into new ideas and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, when it comes to metaphysical topics, things that are can't be studied systematically under the guise of science, um, it's anybody's game. And that's why I don't bash people, right? If um, the, the flying spaghetti monster created the earth in 6,000 years and hid dinosaur bones from people and stretched starlight billions of years, he could do that if he was God, and I can't prove that he didn't, right? It seems irrational, right? That's where philosophy comes in is if I look at it rationally, I say, it doesn't make sense, but it's not impossible because I can't attest to any of it, you know? So yeah, when it comes down to all of these things, all the big things that we look at, um, there's no way of knowing. Um, so the only thing that we have is the rationality provided to us through philosophy and in, in figuring these things out it is it's a fascinating subject because you when you i i suppose it's kind of like there are no aliens there are no aliens there are no aliens until they show up and then there are yeah. aliens and then <laughs> is that kind of how science works yeah yeah i mean um you know and and you have uh the drake equation right um it was developed by a, a famous astrophysicist. Um, and you know, this it's essentially, it's a scientific equation, right? But the, it's not, it's really philo a philosophical question where you take all of the different, um, variables. Okay. Well, how many stars are there in the universe? How many of those stars have planets? How many of those planets are in a habitable zone? Um, and you start narrowing down these things to come up with, with sort of a, an estimate of, how much life there is in the universe but at the same time we've never observed any of it so um that's that's sort of philosophy in action there right if you if you know the number of stars and the number of planets and the number of habitable planets you can get to an estimate um but if you haven't observed it then as far as science is concerned it doesn't exist but isn't that where math comes into it because isn't isn't it true that if there is since we're here, we know that there's at least one planet in the universe that can support life as we know it. So statistically speaking, since there are, what, billions of, of, of galaxies and millions of galaxies and billions of that statistically speaking, that it would make more sense than not. It's kind of like the legal standard of more, more, more true than not true, that that there would be another planet like us in there is it is it do they consider that at all yeah absolutely yeah um so that's the anthropic principle which is to say you know intelligent life exists because we're here to ask the question is there intelligent life right um and so yeah that plays into it. there's 
you know, roughly 100 billion galaxies in the universe, and each one has roughly 100 billion stars. Um, and so it's it's a simple game of probabilities, right? Um, it's very likely that life exists in some form. Um, whether it's intelligent like us, what you find is that when you look at um, the inflationary epoch and, and a bunch of other aspects of the universe, um, we really sort of hit the jackpot in terms of becoming as intelligent as we are. So is there anybody out there as, in, as intelligent as us? That one's hard to say. But if you were to ask me, is there life in the universe? I'd say almost definitely. As a matter of fact, I think that if you went to Enceladus in our own solar system, you'd probably find microscopic life, maybe even on Mars or the moon. You know, it's, it seems very, very likely you'd find life of some kind. Um, but something with an intelligence that resembles humanity, that is the million dollar question if it's out there or not. Well, and that that then again goes down to the question of faith and belief and your belief structure. It's out. Give you an example. My mom, God rest her soul, honestly, truly, completely, you said it earlier, believe that the earth is 6,000 years old. And they said, well, where did the dinosaurs come from? Where did they go? And, and oh, they were planted there uh, to throw us off the trail. And because you can rationalize anything if you if you choose to. And, and that was her rationalization of the literal interpretation of what she called the Bible. Um, and, and somebody went through and Adam begat, um, Cain begat, and, and they figured out it was 6,000 years. Um, but that, that has got no validity in reality either because they can prove that, that our planet has been around for billions of years. Yeah. And so, and this is a very important distinction I, I need to make, right? We've talked about philosophy so far and how it's, it's rational in nature. Um, then you just mentioned how, um, you know, your mom rationalized, uh, you know, a biblical framework, um, even though, you know, the rationale is sort of disproved by science. So what separates philosophy from uh, a conspiracy theory or, or, you know, or a quack sort of pseudoscience, right? It comes down to um, Occam's razor, right? Parsimony, which are big words for the simplest explanation is usually the right one. So if you have to devise a theory where dinosaur bones were planted or starlight was stretched billions of years or these sorts of things, then philosophy says, well, that's much less likely than if the starlight just took billions of years to get here and that dinosaurs existed and they went extinct millions of years ago, right? So philosophy has rules built in, right? It's not just developing a rationale and saying, ha, you know, there you go. And, you know, so that's what separates quacks and conspiracy theorists from philosophers is philosophers play by rules um, that tend to produce results that then become scientific facts or um, things that we observe in reality that have some meaning rather than just things that people are sort of, uh, you know, wearing tinfoil hats with but yeah you know uh, joel one of these days I, I gotta have you back because you and i could talk to you forever about this stuff because then one of the things i know for sure is that uh john kennedy john fitzgerald kennedy is not going to be on the ballot and he's no longer alive but there are people on our planet that actually vote and can read and write that believe that john is still alive as is his son the earth is flat. Uh, 
um, all these things that don't really make a lot of sense. But why do we like to go down those rabbit holes? Yeah, you know, um, each person has individual idiosyncrasies, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and we all face these things, and and most importantly, we all have it's a observed phenomenon in psychology, um, a process called cognitive dissonance, which is where we all have beliefs that we come to uh, based on our experiences, our own rationality, these sorts of things. And if those beliefs are wrong, and then we encounter evidence that contradicts those beliefs, rather than going, oh, yeah, that makes more sense. I'll accept that. It is human nature to deny the new evidence and to come up with a new story that confirms your previous belief. So if you do that enough times and in enough ways, all of a sudden your story that may have seemed to make some sense at first it becomes a conspiracy theory, right? It's like the moon landings never happen. Like all of a sudden you say, okay, well, what about this and this and this? And then you keep sort of proving different things. And now all of a sudden you have this really convoluted, twisted way of sort of, of rationalizing how something happened. So it's something that everybody does, right? I, but none of us are aware of it, right? I know that I have things that are that way, but I'm unaware of them. If I was aware of them, then I would change it, Right. Or if I was aware it was false, I would change it. But um, because I, I, to me, I, it makes sense if I'm presented with different evidence, I, you know, I'd like to think that more than the average person, I'd be able to say, to take the new evidence into consideration and think about it critically and, and sort of synthesize and integrate a new position. Um, but what science tells us is that's not how humans generally work. Usually if you have a, a thought, a belief, something that um, is personally relevant to you, um, you'll fight tooth and nail to to make that real to you. Um, and I think that that's how a lot of these conspiracies develop. I could I couldn't agree more. And and a lot of it is this what I believe and you're not going to change my mind no matter what. You can't show me anything that's proof because I don't believe the proof because it's fake news. So, you know, it gets into this circular thing. So, Joel, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. If somebody wants to contact you, how do they do it? Uh, I'm the world's worst worst marketer. So um, good luck trying to get a hold of me. Um, you, you can email me at the, at the podcast website. We'll answer any questions if you have a topic you want us to cover. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, real simple. It rolls off the tongue. It's from Nord and Nothing Podcast at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's, uh, basically where, where anybody can, can get a hold of me. Well, I really appreciate that. And, and we have figured out the technology. I think Nathan, have we figured out the technology? Technology has been figured out. Perfect. It's not a conspiracy theory anymore. There is technology. Or a philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, if you, there were words that Joel said that you don't understand, go look them up. I have to. Uh, so I'm going to replay this and look up those words anyway. Uh, Joel, I'd like to thank you for being here. You stay right where you are because these girls are just beautiful. And I wanted to leave with their gift to us over the last uh, seven minutes of the show or so with a couple of songs that they did of the Christmas variety. So I'll leave it to Nathan to pick the songs and there. And go ahead, Nathan. All right. Well, let's go ahead. I just wanted to say be kind to one another because each other's all we've got. So, and that's not a conspiracy theory. Um, 
<laughs> so, Nathan, go ahead. All right, we'll do the familiar ones here, at least to me. We'll kick it off with uh, some upbeat Jingle Bell Rock. Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell Rock. Jingle Bell Swing and Jingle Bells Ring. Snowing and blowing up bushels of fun. Now the jingle hop has begun. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bells chime in jingle bell time. Dancing and prancing in jingle bell square. In the frosty air, what a bright time. It's the right time to rock the night away. Jingle bell time, it's a swell time. To go gliding in a one-horse sleigh Giddy up, jingle horse, pick up your feet Jingle around the clock Mix and a mingle and a jingle and feet That's the jingle bell, that's the jingle bell That's the jingle bell rock Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock Jingle bells chime in jingle bell time Dancing and prancing in jingle bell square In the frosty air What a bright time, it's the right time To rock the night away Jingle bell time, it's a swell time To go gliding in a one-horse sleigh Giddy up, jingle horse, pick up your feet Jingle around the clock Mix and a mingle and a jingle and feet That's the jingle bell, that's the jingle bell That's the jingle bell rock That's the jingle bell, that's the jingle bell That's the jingle bell rock And with the time we have remaining Oops (laughs) That's what you get for listening to this song for the first time. You kind of talk over a little bit of the lyrics at the end. But That's with the time remaining, we'll go with the other track they have here for us. It is My Favorite Things by Sisters J. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen Brown paper packages tied up with strings These are a few of my favorite things Cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels Doorbells and sleigh bells and schnittles with noodles Wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings These are a few of my favorite With blue satin sashes Snowflakes that stay on my nose and eyelashes Silver-white winters that melt into springs These are a few of my favorite things When the dog bites, when the bee stings When I'm feeling sad I simply remember my favorite things And then I don't feel so bad 
bridges tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. Cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels, doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzel with noodles, wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings. These are. 